Thanks, Chris. Morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to um, be together as a, a church family. And um, uh, I guess it's welcome to our um, second message in um, uh, this current preaching series that we're in um, called Body Matters, which uh, Ben was giving me, I would say, unfair stick for the title of um, last week. Uh, it's a deliberate um, play on words um, because uh, we are talking about matters of the body, um, but also our bodies really matter, right? They, they're not just shells inside of which are the real us. Uh, our bodies really matter and, and mean something um, to God. And uh, we've recommended a book to go along uh, with the series uh, for further kind of engagement on, on this material. Um, Sam is coming up on the screen. Sam Albury's What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, um, How the Gospel is Good News for Our Physical Self. So we'd really recommend that to kind of go a little bit um, deeper in. And um, if you hear last week, then, then you'll know that uh, Ben started off... Um, uh, the series, uh, of course, we're talking about um, the, the way to have these kinds of conversations about all sorts of issues uh, to do with the body, that we need to love one another really well, and um, that we need to welcome the good news of God's truth revealed in his words. And as we put those th two things together, love and God's truth, then we have hope, wh whatever kind of it is that we're facing. And so today, what we're going to begin to do is, is open up, a, I suppose, like a four-point kind of framework that we can apply to any discussion um, to do with our bodies. And, and here it is. So today we're going to be starting in created. Next week, we're going to look at what it means that um, the design gets broken. Uh, then we're going to look at understood. That's Jesus coming in the incarnation and then um, redeeming us in the cross, the resurrection and into eternity. And what I want to encourage us to do as we engage with things this morning is just recognizing that as we look at us being created by God's Often what we're very tempted to do is, is then rush on to all of the brokenness that we see in our own lives, right? And, and see kind of in the world around us. And, and those things are all very real and God is with us in the midst of them. I just want to encourage us as far as possible this week, not, not to kind of rush on, but just to base ourselves in the good news of what it means that God has made us and made us in his image and some of what we'll look at today, not to kind of rush on too far ahead in the story. Because what what we're going to do, where kind of this morning's heading towards is that um, at the end of this message, we're, um, we're going to take communion together. Um, uh, and um, sort of as we head to the various sort of stations around the room, you'll see that there's some mirrors that have been um, kind of appearing. And what, we, what I'm going to invite uh, each of us uh, to do if we want to is that as we go to the table, to firstly stop in front of one of those mirrors, to pause for a moment and to thank God that we are made by him and for him and in his image. And then with all of the questions that we have about why our bodies malfunction and why things are the way they are in life, to then go to the table and receive the one uh, in whom hope is found. Now, I know that won't be for everybody. I know there'll be particular um, uh, issues and, and life circumstances that mean that standing in front of mirrors is too much for some people. That's okay, but that's kind of where we're heading um, towards. And so let's jump straight into the scripture. We're going to go right back to the very uh, beginning. So this is um, Genesis chapter one. Uh, so this is the, the creation of the world, the sixth day. And here's what it says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And here's where we're camping out, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And, and what we've got to remember when, when we read something like this is that we're at a kind of stage in the story where there's no brokenness in, in the world yet. The, the plan of God is, is unfinished. It's still for Adam and Eve to, um, to fill the earth uh, rather than just kind of the boundaries of the Garden of Eden with people that look like God, image bearers of God's. But this is humanity walking in the garden with its creator, and there's no shame, and there's no strife, there's no sin, and it's a foretaste of what one day life will be like with God, because as we were hearing in the worship, that is what Jesus has won for us in the gospel, won a permanence of access before the throne that is not dependent on how we're doing, how well we've been doing in our Christian walk or anything like that, but solely on the fact that he is risen uh, from the dead. But in the meantime, a passage like this, it, it, it explains our wiring. It has something to say about who we are. And so then the first thing that it, that it has to say is that we are created by God, very obviously. So verse 27, God created man in his own image. Now, I'm going to put a, um, a, a, a picture on the screen for you. And I, I want you to kind of have a look at this picture and, and I ask you the question, what, what is it? What can you kind of see um, in this picture? And um, you might kind of think, okay, so there's a, there's a swimmer there. Um, it looks female from the description. Obviously, swimming under the sea or lake or whatever. Looks like a kind of sunny day, though maybe feels a bit sort of cold. There's obviously some beautiful vegetation at, at the bottom of um, whatever the water, body of water is that's swimming in. But you can only tell so much about a picture like that until you know who's behind it or what the story is behind. And it turns out that that's not just a random painting. That, uh, that picture has been produced by someone in our church family, by a very own Jenny Spreadborough here, uh, who uh, Penelope and the Ducks runs her own Etsy shop. And, um, and, and the story behind it, so I understand, is that uh, Jenny and my wife Emma um, went uh, wild swimming in Spring Lakes over in uh, Long Eaton, um, which doesn't just mean you find a random lake and you jump into it. Like you, It's a sort of outdoor thing that you pay for and you go in. But in my view, you have to be absolutely crazy to do it, but um, sort of went, went there, enjoyed things together, and so I understand Jenny got inspired to um, uh, produce um, that piece of art, and, and so um, the art was born. And in the same way, there's more to humanity than simply just what you see, than simply just seeing people. We can see that picture, and we can say, okay, so we can paint, um, we, we can have an understanding of what it's like, but there's a whole story behind it. There's purpose, there's design, there's explanation that's going on in our backgrounds. And in the Bible, it says that we were made very deliberately by God out of the overflow of his self-giving love. And we were made to know him and made to enjoy him and that it was very good. Most of the things in Genesis chapter one in creation are described in the words of God as good the creation of humanity is very good. That is to say that your being made by God was a very good thing in his sight. That you are, as Sam Albury puts it in his book, the product of God's intention. I love that phrase. And that means that you weren't born a mistake. And it means neither is your body a mistake. It means your life 
has meaning. I love the words of the psalmist, um, Psalm 139. Is it David's? Let's just have a look. Yes, Psalm of David's. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully there just means made according to God's purposes. It means that he's your designer. Wonderfully means your very creation testifies to the goodness of God. That there is praise for his beauty demonstrated in the intricacy of your body. He gives us meaning. We don't have to create it ourselves. I love how um, Glenn Harrison, the Christian psychiatrist, puts it in his book, A Better Story. He says, God welcomes human beings into his reality. This simple fact has far-reaching implications for our posture towards the world and our place in it. It means that whatever we see as our purpose, it needs to be with a sense of humble submission to its creator. This is his reality, not ours. And Harriet was praying something very similar in worship, wasn't she? Created by God. But the passage also then goes on to say that God created man in his own image. And the image of God is a phrase that has long been debated, but it's an idea that gives tremendous value to each human life. Now, I want to do a little sort of illustration for you. Take uh, this mirror here. So this is a mirror, and it has a status. It has a thing. Sorry, this is, the light is now shining on you guys. I'm just going to put that down statically. <laughs> Otherwise, lots of you are going to go blind because of the light being shone. It has a status. It has a thing that it is. It is a mirror. But it also has a role, doesn't it? It has a thing that it does. Its role is to reflect, to, to shine out. And it, it's the same with us in the image of God, isn't it? We are the image of God. We have a thing that we are. We are the image of God. That gives us dignity. It gives us purpose. But we also have a role. And our role in life is to reflect who God is in how we are, to make more image bearers. That's what verse 28 in our passage is talking about. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And at the risk of kind of jumping ahead to next week, in the fall, where things get broken in the world around us, where humanity turns its back on God and sin enters the world, we don't stop being human in the fall, do we? We're still in the image of God. We still have the status. We, we are still in the image of God. But our role to reflect God to the world around us now gets scarred or marked and it would be like if I was to take a hammer to this mirror here and kind of smash it up in front of you and it was to get all cracked, it would still be a mirror, wouldn't it? It would still have its status. It's still a mirror. But its role to reflect out to you is now broken and marred. But unlike a 13-pound IKEA mirror that if it was just cracked, we would chuck it away, God still values us. We are still of incredible worth to him, even though we're broken. And actually, a, a, perhaps a, a better illustration would be that if I was to have brought up to stage a, a broken Stradivarius violin or a damaged Picasso painting, 
Uh, we couldn't afford those, unfortunately. Um, but the, the role of those things is not possible. You know, the violin is damaged. Like it can't be played. It's broken. But it's still of incredible worth because of who it's made by. And in the gospel, our role is being restored. We are being made into the likeness of Christ that we might reflect him more and more. But our status has always remained. We're made in the image of God. And that means that your life has value and worth and dignity because of who you were made by. And that, of course, is the basis of all modern human rights, isn't it? People like secular historian Tom Hollands, who does the Rest is History podcast. Some of you might know it's quite popular. They will, will tell you that. And if it just even a simple comparison between Christianity and, say, Roman society, lots of the, the New Testament was, was written into Christianity. Everyone's made in the image of God. You have value and dignity and worth and purpose. Roman society, you're just a commodity. You're left at the side of the road. You're killed if you're not useful. So you put these two things together, that we are created by God and made in his image, and what do you get? Well, however you process your existence, whatever is going on in your life right now, whatever questions you have, the answer has to start with the goodness and beauty of being made by God in his image. I wonder if that is part of your thinking. And this isn't just positive body talk. This is the truth of how we're made. This is our wiring. This is our purpose. And so if you want to, at the, at the end of this message, we can stand in front of the mirrors around the room and we can thank God that we are designed by him, that we have purpose and value and dignity, that you're being made and you can look around and see the same of others in the room is a very good thing in God's sight. So we're created by God. We're made in his image, but then... Thirdly, we're embodied, and um, I'll, I'll uh, come on to talk about what that means in a moment, but um, do you remember uh, back last year, um, it was the Oscars, 2022 Oscars, and it got a bit dramatic, didn't it? Will Smith got up and gave the host, Chris Rock, a slap, and um, I, was, I was reading kind of his reflection on this. Obviously, the whole thing went kind of all over the internet, and um, a few months later, Will Smith was reflecting on that night and, and, and what happened, and he said, that was one of the big things for me. I had to forgive myself for being human. It's a, it's a fascinating statement, isn't it? I wonder what he means by that. Does he mean that we make mistakes? Does he mean that we get angry? Does he mean that we uh, desire a sense of justice? Because the question of what it means to be human has been live ever since the days of Genesis 1, hasn't it? You know, we, we are limited. We are dependent on others. We have to learn and to grow. In future weeks, we'll uh, look at how uh, we're sexual beings and how sex and sexual desire are a good thing, that they point to a much greater union and satisfaction in Christ. But one of the big things that Genesis 1 and chapter 2 actually points out for us is that we are embodied, which just means we exist bodily. We don't have bodies. We are bodies. Now, I don't know how I feel about admitting this to you, but um, a few weeks ago, I was watching an American TV show called Love is Blind. <laughs> and um, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with it, basically... They've got an apartment of guys and an apartment of girls, and they get them to all meet one another, um, but in, in a pod 
in the middle of which is this big screen, so they can't actually see one another. So they go into the pod and they just have conversations and they're taking notes and things. And if they like where it goes, they go back and have kind of further chats. And then sort of at the end of the first round of the process, they basically have to decide whether they're going to get together or not. And um, they obviously, being a TV show, up the ante and have to propose to the person. And, and then the show becomes all about whether they're going to kind of make it to the altar and then whether they're actually going to kind of go through with um, getting married or not. But one of the fascinating things that the contestants said is that as they sort of started to talk about um, entering into these pods was to make comments such as, I feel like the real me is, is going to be known because they, they can't see me. Or, or, or kind of something around the idea that things will be more real in the interaction because the bodily aspect has been removed. Now, I know what they're meaning. Like, I, in society, I, I suppose they're reflecting something of the fact that sometimes we can judge one another by the way that we look. Sometimes our looks can be a distraction from getting to know the whole person. I know what they mean. But what's fascinating is that, is that this kind of body, real me split that they're articulating is so prevalent in all of our, of our society. Culture does this in all sorts of areas. You, you hear things like, the real you is inside you. Take what a culture says about sex, for instance, hookup culture. So many of our kind of, particularly Gen Z is kind of hearing things like, hey, just go and sleep with who you want. But unless you're ready to get involved in a relationship, don't get emotionally involved. Do what you want with who you want, when you want with your body, but kind of hold yourself back from getting too engaged in the process. It's a split between the body and the person. Or even just um, last couple of weeks, I, I was, um, had the radio on, on Five Live, and, and they were talking about the really important topic of weight stigma. And so they had a director of a, a national charity on there, and, and she said uh, these words. She said, it's not my fault that I live in a larger body. We need to see people for who they really are. And whilst I agreed with the, the point that she was making that um, a, a person's weight is, is more complex than simply what they eat, I thought it was fascinating. She said, it's not my fault that I live in a larger body. Live in. As, as though the body is a, a tent inside of which is the real us. And actually, this, this kind of body, real me split idea, it goes way back into ancient philosophy. It was around um, in the New Testament era. Uh, there was a thing called Gnosticism. Some of you might have heard of it. That Some of the New Testament letters tried to sort of... Um, kind of call out for the, um, the falsity that it was. It was the idea that um, this, the, the good soul must escape the bad body to be saved, or in the mod modern word, authenticated. It's eerily familiar, isn't it? And if only the real me could kind of overcome the limitations of my body. But the Bible has good news for us. And, and just in the next chapter on Genesis 2, verse 7, it, it says this. It says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And he's saying we are earth and breath together. We are matter and spirit together. How does the Bible describe the makeup of the human person? We are body and soul, one integrated whole body and soul, one integrated whole. That is to say that both body and soul are as important 
and as spiritual and as designed by God as the other. That we don't need to look inside ourselves for who we really are, but that our, bad, our bodies really matter. They indicate something. They testify to something. They, they're the means by which we enjoy relationship with God and uh, with, with other people, the, the means by which we know ourselves, the means by which we um, process the world around us. So when we stand before the mirror at the end of this message, we can say, we can thank God that we're created by him in his image. But we can know that what we see is, is the real me as much as our character or personality or inner life are as well. Now, just a quick word on, on how that applies to our on, online profile, because we're not talking about enough delicate topics this morning, obviously. <laughs> if, if we're embodied, that means we were made for real, in-person community. And that means that our online interactions our social media profile, um, our, our Zoom calls, they're not the full us. They're a sort of adaptable avatar, if you like, a, an image of us, a presentation. And you can feel it, can't you? It's, it's, the, the interaction with someone is never the same through a screen, is it? Like convenient as it may be, it's just never the same. People can say something, and the next time you see them, it, it, there's this weird thing of like, you don't feel like you've seen them say it. Now, I know that some amongst us and some perhaps even watching online this morning won't have um, the, the choice of things like um, watching church services online. You know, maybe, maybe even watching this morning, you're housebound or you're caring for others. I, I get that. We're not going to stop streaming our online services anytime soon. But if you do have that choice in your interactions, I, I want to really encourage you not to settle for, I'll just watch it online just because it seems easier. And likewise, let's not focus more on our Instagram profile than on our character and relationships. Let's never lose sight of the in-person community that we were made by God for. So we're created by God in his image. We're embodied. And then the last thing is that we were made male and female. So here's verse 27 again. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And Sam Albury notes in his book how we're not the only species created male and female in the world, are we? But we are the only one that has such significance attached to it. And here in Genesis 1, in teaching on what it means to be made in the image of God, the bodies that we are as male and female get foregrounded, don't they? It's, it's, it's saying that there's something about the interplay between men and women that helps us to image God. That our, our maleness and our femaleness are, as Andrew Bunt, author and, bog, and blogger, um, labels, a divine-given identity. He's saying that as, as male and female, we're, we're made like one another. We're human. We're equally valued by God. We need community. But also that we're different from one another, aren't we? And you know, there's obvious biological distinctions. There's more general trends in, in the way that we operate, the roles that we have. But together, male and female, we, together we fulfill God's plan to fill the earth 
with people that look like him. That's verse 28, be fruitful and, and multiply. And it, it's ex expressed, of course, physically in, in the act, the, the fitting without getting too graphic of sex, which then infertility and contraception accepted produces new life. It's a, a life-giving union. And of course, Ephesians 5 comments on it. It, it, it says, um, Ephesians 5 verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So we see it operating physically, but we see it operating spiritually too in, in the operation of men and women together as church family in the spread of the gospel to create more image bearers, people that look like Jesus. But Genesis 1 is making some points about these two similar yet different bodily discerned genders. It's saying firstly that they're a gift from God. Remember that Sam Albury phrase, a product of God's intention. That our bodies are not arbitrary, but they're intentional. And that's why Jesus affirms it in, in Matthew chapter 19. He says, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. But it's also saying second, secondarily that um, the gift of maleness or femaleness is received, not achieved. And that's really important, received, not achieved. It's really important because culturally, we assign all sorts of hobbies and habits and color preferences to the genders that for those that don't fit them, either leave them feeling insecure or more acutely questioning their own gender. Now, there are some things that I am into that score well on the cultural stereotypes of manliness. I love match of the day. I love action films and I don't like rom-coms. I'm really sorry. I get very confused as to why. If something is meant to go upstairs, it is left at the bottom of the stairs. And so I step over it, assuming there must be a purpose why it's there. But there's plenty more of my own experiences that have left me not feeling like a real man. I am not particularly into whiskey or beer. I'm not hugely competent at DIY, nor can I bench press anything over, well, actually, I don't know, which kind of is the point. <laughs> For me, there is tremendous encouragement in realizing that my masculinity is simply given to me. I don't have to achieve it. And that, of course, is Christian identity. Received, not achieved. Now, I've not particularly mentioned yet those um, suffering with gender dysphoria. And if you're um, new to the terminology, that simply refers to uh, someone who um, would see a difference between the biological sex that they are and the internal sense of gender that they feel they are. And that may apply to you, um, it may apply to someone that you know. And so it's really important that we recognize that gender dysphoria is very real. I haven't experienced it myself. I've been trying to understand something of the experiences of what it's like. I've learned that it's an incredibly painful thing. And so I would always, in, talk, in talking to any person experiencing gender dysphoria, firstly, just want to sit down, be with them, hear their story, get to know them. Each experience is different. 
They may very likely have, have suffered rejection or harm or othering in all sorts of places, including churches. And my understanding is that the, the studies show the huge mental health burden of some of what is being processed. And there's lots more that we could say on this and um, in the wider area of sexuality, and, and, and we will do that in future weeks, though, this series about more than just sexuality. But if I could give one encouragement as, as you or those you know process gender dysphoria and the, um, the confusion and the pain, it would be to say that the Bible says that your biological sex is a very good thing, that it's a received gift, that it's deliberate, that there's purpose in it, and that however you process your experience from there, whatever you feel internally, you may or may not already feel like your biological sex is a good thing. I want to gently suggest that there is tremendous beauty in knowing God's delight in making your body and that Jesus is sufficient for your and for my every need. He says of him that a bruised reed he will not break. And actually, you could say exactly the same on all sorts of other matters to do with the body, couldn't you? Processing eating disorders, disability, same-sex attraction, mental health struggles. These things are real. We've got to be really open with one another as church family about them. But however we process them, I want to gently suggest that there is tremendous beauty in knowing God's delight in making your body and that Jesus is sufficient for your and for my every need and that a bruised reed he will not break. So we're created by God in his image, embodied as male and female. And all of that, God says, is very 